Hey, good morning, church. It's good to see you. To join us online, we welcome you as well. Um, we are going to be in Ephesians 5, as Daniel was just reading, so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn there now. Um, just a couple things. One, I really want to see you this Wednesday evening at 6.30 uh, for our Wednesday worship. We do this once a month during the school year, and so we're kicking off the fall semester uh, this Wednesday. Um, the good news is, like, it's a fantastic time to get together. The bad news is we only do it once a month, so it's, like, hard to remember the rhythm of it. So that's why we try to remind you from here. But uh, mark your calendar for this Wednesday evening at 6.30. Come join us in here. And this year we're doing something a little bit different. Um, we've been working with um, elder mentees now for, I guess, six, seven months, um, discipling and mentoring um, future elder candidates. And a part of that is, is in preaching and teaching. So you're going to get to hear from some of these guys this fall. Um, so I'm excited about that. So um, there's that piece as well. Come and just be a part of that. I'm excited to get to just be and sit and like let somebody else do this thing, preaching and teaching and be under their teaching. So um, we wouldn't put them up here if we didn't feel like they're ready to do that. And so just want to like invite you to come be a part of that and sit under that teaching this Wednesday evening at 630. We're going through the book of Philippians this year on Wednesday night. So if you want to read ahead, Philippians chapter one. All right. So um, I think too, I just want to say like, um, if you're 35 years or older, um, there's a good chance you know exactly where you were 21 years ago today. And like every time the, the, the calendar hits September 11, it like triggers that in your mind and you remember that and you probably have different feelings around that. It may still bring up anger or sadness or grief. And I know we have at least one member in our church who lost a sister um, in the towers. And so I know that that um, seems like it's a long ways away and it has been a long time. Um, but, but that's not how grief works. Um, it, stay, it's, it may still be like just stirring in you. Um, and if that's the case, A, that's not what's wrong with you. Okay, that's not a distraction. Like that's where you need to be today. And that's where God wants to meet you today. Um, so I just want to say that for you. Um, that, that like, hey, for us, like we want you to, to be where you are. And we're not trying to like distract you from that. But we also want to encourage you like that God sees that and he wants to meet with you there. And so with that in mind, we are going to turn to God's word, Ephesians 5. Um, we have made it to the place in the book of Ephesians where Paul's um, advice and instruction is starting to get really practical. Um, today, he's going to talk about marriage. Um, next Sunday, we'll come back and we'll look at parenting. And the good news is you don't have to be married or a parent to get a lot out of what he has to say. And then after that, the following Sunday, we will look at how the gospel plays out in our workplace and our work relationships. And then we'll end in Ephesians 6 with um, spiritual warfare, if you will. What does this look like to, to, to engage in this battle, spiritually speaking, um, every day? And so that's, where we have, that's what we have left now. We have four Sundays left in the book of Ephesians. So today, um, we are just, just a quick reminder of what we've looked at so far is that through the gospel, through hearing this good news that Jesus loves you, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he has died a sacrificial death for you, and he's been buried in a grave for you, and he has resurrected from that grave for you, that by hearing that and believing in him and trusting in him, you are saved, you are forgiven. We've talked about how that, re that relationship with God as a father has been restored and my relationship with you as spiritual siblings has been restored. And this is where we left off 
last Sunday that this this image of God that I was created in so like Genesis 1 you were created in his image although that was distorted by sin and corruption now that I'm in Christ that's being restored that whatever Adam had before the fall God is restoring in me now through Christ and so then these final instructions came to us that as this image is being restored in us on a and being renewed on a daily basis that we walk according to wisdom we're filled with the holy spirit we worship with one another and then we submit to one another out of reverence for christ because that's where we left off and it's really important to have those things in mind as we step into verse 22 that begins talking about the specific calling of a wife now one of the things that will come up a couple of times today is this if you're here today or you're listening online and you're not married this is not a time to check out a if you're not married there's a good chance that you want to be at the appropriate time okay so this is a this is a time to lean in and to allow God to plant seeds of truth in your life that will bear fruit whenever that time comes so if you're single Okay, this is about marriage. How is this about me? Part of it might be God just planting seeds of truth. Like, don't wait until you're married to try to figure this stuff out. Amen? Okay, that's from all the married people in the room. B, if you are here today and you're single and you feel called and gifted to singleness and have no desire to be married, let me just say today is really for you as well. Because, and this is going to, again, we'll tease this out more. Everything that a wife is called to in a marriage, every Christian is called to in the church. And everything that a man is called to in marriage, every Christian is called to in church. Okay? So, as we talk through these specific roles, let's not check out as though they don't apply. Starting with wives here in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So here's something that we need to talk through. We need to talk about the things that we are all called to, generally speaking, as Christian, as Christians, and then that will help us understand what we are, some of us are called to specifically. So I'll give you um, some examples. If you, as a Christian, share your faith in Jesus with another person and invite them to believe in Jesus, that's called evangelism. Whether that's a friend, a coworker, a family member, and you tell them about your relationship with Jesus and about what he has done for you what he has done for them and then you invite them to place their faith and trust in Jesus that's evangelism every person who is here today who is a Christian is called to evangelism you are called as God sets up opportunities for you to share your faith with others and invite them to believe every Christian has been called to that it's a general calling however there are some within the christian faith 
who have been gifted for evangelism, and we call them evangelists. Everything they say and do drips with an invitation to believe in Jesus. And through their testimony, through their bold witness, many people become Christians through their evangelistic efforts. So in a general sense, we're all called to evangelism, but there are some within the church that even the Bible would say, he's an evangelist, she's an evangelist, meaning they have a specific calling and rolling, a role in, right, in that idea of inviting people to faith in Jesus. Think about the, the concept of faith itself. You can't become a Christian without faith. Like, that's the beginning of becoming a Christian, right? I'm placing my faith, my trust in Christ. So generally speaking, every Christian has been called to faith. Like, it's impossible to please God without faith, is what the Bible says. However, there's a specific group of people within the church, within Christianity, who have been gifted with faith. And you, if you've been with one of these people, you know what it's like. Because everything they say is dripping with faith. Right? Not in a trite or dismissal kind of way, but like they, they believe that God has got this, whatever this is. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're ready to stop, let's pray, let's believe God. God has got this. We're all generally called faith, but there are those who like have this specific gifting and calling to faith within the church. So I want you to think that way and take that same concept now and we're going to apply it to marriage. Wives have been called to submit to their husbands. If we back up a verse, look at what Paul says about all of us. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, ladies... Whatever, we haven't even defined submission yet, but whatever God means when he calls you to submit in marriage, he's already called all of us to in the church. He's not calling you to something that he isn't also calling your husband to. He's just calling you to a specific place of doing that and in a specific way of doing that for a specific reason, which we will dig into today. So whatever God means by submit to your husbands, he's saying to all of us and saying, submit to one another. In a general sense. He does the same thing with this idea of love and honor. Romans 12.10 says this. We're going to get to husbands in a minute. Love your wives. But everybody, so does that mean that wives are off the hook? I'm doing this submission thing. I don't have to love you too. That's your job. Except Romans 12, 10, speaking to all who are in Christ, says this, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So husbands, before we even define what it means to love your wives in a specific way, whatever God's calling you to in loving your wife, he's already called all of us to in the way that we love one another. So when we get into marriage, what what God is showing us, though, is in the specific design of marriage, within the specific roles of marriage, there is a very specific way when you do these things, it reflects and bears the image of God. Now, we're going to take some time here to define submission. I think that's really important. 
if you just go look up submission in a dictionary and you read um, the world's view on submission, you're going to get a definition that's probably pretty close to what you're already thinking. And so this is just a worldly definition of submission. It's the idea or the act of yielding to a superior force or to, an, to the authority of another person. That's just a raw dictionary definition of submission. However, the concepts of God, the calling of the church, the commands of the Bible do not submit themselves to the definitions of the world. When God calls us to submission, he gets to define what that looks like. And it's different from how the world defines it. One of the things that happens in church around this word submission, and you've probably maybe experienced this, it's like this spectrum. Like nobody's comfortable sitting in the real definition of submission. So there are some who would say, hey, let's don't water down the word of God. Let's double down on all the hard stuff. So they take this concept of submission and swing it way out here into crazy land. And men give themselves permission to be superior authorities in their marriage and they make commands and demands and then they heap up shame and guilt when the woman doesn't obey their every command or the pendulum swings to the other end of the spectrum and the word submits just kind of hard to deal with so let's pretend like it's not there let's water it down let's make excuses for God and explain it away to where the word submission doesn't even exist so what I want to do is, like, I just want to give God a chance to, like, tell us what he meant. Like, how about that? How about, God, you said it. You called us to this. What in the world do you mean? And one of the things we're going to have to acknowledge is this, that the virtue of submission is completely lost in our culture. You are not going to find a virtuous version of submission anywhere in our culture today you're going to find the opposite that any form of submission or hierarchy or anybody yielding to another person is is abusive and it's it's wrong but when we look at a biblical view of submission we're going to see that there's a virtue to be had that when Paul says to all believers, submit to one another in love. He's calling you to something that's good and life-giving and virtuous. Here is the biblical definition of submission. It is the act of willfully yielding oneself to another in order to declare the value of the other out of reverence for Christ. So this submission, my submitting to you, my yielding to you, it's a willful act, and the point of it is I want to honor you. I want to ascribe value. I want to say you matter. And one of the ways I can say you matter, not just to me, but in the universe, is I can yield myself to you. And there's virtue in that. There's goodness in that. The virtue of biblical submission is found in the willingness of the one submitting, not in the forcefulness of the one being submitted to. You with me? That's the virtue. That's, that's why he's not talking 
to husbands saying, hey, husbands, go demand that your women submit to you. If he was doing that, he would be appealing to the forcefulness of a man to command and demand submission. But he's not. He's talking to who? Wives. He's called you this beautiful, life-giving, good virtue of yielding yourself to your husband in an act of ascribing value and honor. Life-giving, doing good to him out of your reverence for Christ. We'll talk about the why, and then we'll talk about the how. I think the why is a little bit easier. So why this way? Why does submission even need to be a virtue in human relationship? Well, it takes us back to Genesis 1. You were created to bear the image of God. God has always existed in perfect, loving, harmonious, virtuous relationship with himself the father has never been lonely the son has never been unloved you with me father son and spirit have always existed in a loving relationship with one another he did not create us because he was lonely he didn't create us because he didn't have an object to love And so that God created you and me to reflect his image. That we would do the kinds of things he does and say the kinds of things that he says so that when creation looks at us, they would see a reflection of him. And the virtue of submission has always been part of the Godhead. See it so clearly in the life of Christ, don't you? Why did Jesus go to the desert to be tempted? You might say, well, it was the will of the Father. That would be true. But you know it was the Spirit that led him? The Holy Spirit led Jesus, and he yielded himself to the Spirit, and the Spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's praying in the garden to the Father. Please, Dad, take this cup from me. But what does the rest of the prayer say? Not my will be done. I'm going to yield to you. And so we have a God, three persons in one, perfect loving relationship, submission to one another, and he created us to reflect his image. So when we submit to one another, it's part of our image bearing. You see that? Like that's, that's how the world knows about our God. And so while we've all been called to do that, Generally speaking, wives, you have this unique place in creation, kind of like the unique place of the evangelist in the church, that you've been called to engage in a relationship with your husband where you reflect that. When, when, when somebody sees you yielding to your husband in an honorable way, they would see a reflection of Jesus yielding to the Spirit. And see a reflection of Jesus yielding to the Father at the cross. Now, that's the why. But let's talk about why it's difficult to do that. Some really valid reasons why we have a hard time seeing the virtue of submission. So if we go back to the fall, Genesis 3, 
God has given a command to Adam. He's entrusted that command to Adam. As Adam stewards over the garden, he's also supposed to steward over the law and the command of God. Genesis chapter 3, in his presence, Eve has a conversation with the tempter, with the serpent. Adam and Eve commit sin. They begin to hide from one another. They don't feel safe with one another. So they're car- covering up, putting garments on. They start hiding from God. God shows up in the cool of the day, still ready to do relationship with Adam, even though he's well aware of what Adam and Eve had done. And he calls, he invites Adam to take some inventory and pay attention to why he's hiding. Who told you you were naked? And why are you hiding? Why are you there? And Adam's like, oh, well, I need to think through all this. And what God's doing is just inviting Adam back into a relationship. But in the end of chapter 3, God now, he's going to tell Adam and Eve how things are going to be different going forward, though. Like, I told you, Adam, if you sin, you die. When sin enters the story, so does death. Sin has now entered the story, Adam, so now everything's going to be different. Let's look for a second at what he said to Eve. This is in Genesis 3.16. So to Eve, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. More than likely, we'll come back to that next week when we're talking about parenting. He says this about marriage. He says, now, Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you so what god is telling eve is let me explain how things are going to be different now that creation has been cursed he is not telling eve hey this is the way i meant marriage to work he's letting eve know that what you had yesterday in your husband you don't have today and he's going to let adam know adam what you had yesterday in your wife You don't have today, so let me tell you how it's different now that sin has entered the story. Here's how it's different. Eve, your desire is going to run contrary to, it's going to contradict your husband. That feels familiar. Right? Like, whatever I think, whatever I want, she wants the opposite. Whether she wanted the opposite before or not, there's this contradiction now in our desires yesterday before the fall adam and eve didn't know that they didn't have conflicting desires what adam wanted eve wanted what eve wanted adam wanted eve things are different today you're going to want things that are contradictory to what your husband wants there's going to be conflict now it's going to be different it's almost like he's warning adam adam this is going to get real frustrating like in a hurry what you tried yesterday, what worked yesterday, won't work today. You're going to be like, what? Yesterday you told me you liked tulips. It was your favorite flower. I just bought you a thing of tulips. I don't want you to bring me tulips. I want you to want to bring me tulips. Everything's different. And then what does he say about Adam? He shall rule over you. This is not God-ordained, virtuous, loving submission. This is what happened because of the fall. This is what Adam is going to look like now that he has been cursed by sin and death. He is now going to try to use his strength to manipulate you and control you, Eve. 
Matter of fact, he's going to do that with other men. He's going to use his strength to try to control his world to get what he wants. And oh, be careful if he ever gets wounded. Right, because he's really going to bow up. And he's really going to try to use his strength to rule over you. That is not the virtue of submission being described in Ephesians 5. That is submission distorted by sin and death. And what Paul is writing about in Ephesians 5 is that now that you're in Christ, God is restoring you back. Adam, this is what it looks like to lead your wife well. This is what it looked like for for Adam to lead his wife in the garden before the fall. Wives, this is what it looked like to be Eve before the fall. This joyful, life-giving, yielding of yourself to another, ascribing honor and value, saying, you matter to me, and you matter in the universe. Listen, wives, God is restoring that in you. Don't let the distortions of the world out there and the lies of our culture keep you from becoming who Christ is restoring you to be. And let's just be honest. If you look at human history, that plays out over and over and over and over again. In almost every family, and especially in every civilization. Women with with desires that are contrary to, running against the grain of what men want and what men are leading towards, you see it in our world today. And men using their strength to control, to manipulate. And so it's no wonder when we hear that word, we recoil a little bit, right? And I think it's appropriate to recoil to what I just described because that's different from biblical submission. You're recoiling at the thought of Genesis 3.16. And just because culture gets this wrong, Maybe even because you've encountered and experienced men, ladies, who get this wrong and who have gotten this wrong in your life. It doesn't change God's good design for marriage. I want to I acknowledge that when we talk about men getting this wrong, we're not just talking about a president or a king or a tyrant. Like, those things are true. Unless you're an anomaly you have encountered tyrants in your life. Men living out of the curse, using their strength against you. Like that's what's happened to you, but it shouldn't keep you from this God-given desire to want to walk in marriage and the virtue of submission the way God designed it. If that's you, ladies, like, please just hear me. Like, if you're listening online, you're here in the room. Our pastors and our elders, we want to talk with you. You need more than just repenting of sin. You need healing. 
You need restoration. Okay? So we're not just arbitrarily calling you to a command and saying, good luck with that, go do it. Like, we, we're coming alongside you saying, I, as a voice of a man, and saying, I know this has been wrong in your life. I know you have encountered the broken version on some level, some of you on catastrophic levels, okay? Hear the voice of a man saying, I know you have more than likely encountered the abusive version of what's being described here. But do not let the lie of the enemy keep you from seeing the virtue of yielding yourself to another in a way that ascribes value and honor. Husbands, I've heard people say in comparison of submission and love, I've heard it said, and I don't agree with it, to the ladies, hey, ladies, just hold on because it gets harder with the men. Can I just say that what God's calling us to, it's not about which is harder, doesn't even enter into this text it's not about what's harder it's just about God's specific design ladies here's your role in bearing the image of God in marriage men here's your role and here's your role let's read it together verse 25 husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So as husbands hear this, what God is calling you to is a very specific way of loving your wife that will reflect, bear the image of the way Jesus loves the church. And we start with the premise that whatever God means by how you're supposed to love your wife, we're already called to love one another that way. And so what God's calling you to is not proportionate to the lovability of the woman you're married to. I say this when I do weddings. There will be days where she is very lovable. And you're like, come here, you. What do you want? I want to cook you breakfast. I'm so glad you're in my life. You are the most lovable human being I've ever met. And then there are going to be days where you're like, what in the world was I thinking? Okay, that's marriage. It's what it's like being in a covenant relationship with another sinner. But you're not called to love her in proportion to her lovability. You're called to love her in proportion to the way Jesus loves the church. Bear with me. Who's the church? Oh, busted. I am. So anything I'm called to do for her, Jesus is not, doing, not just doing it for you. He's doing it for me. So I have this conversation with myself. Uh, how patient do I have to be, God? 
patient have I been with you? How many times do I have to circle back around, issue my apologies, humble myself, remind her that I love her? God's like, I don't know. How many times did I do that with you? That's not actually what God says. He says the same thing he said to Peter when Peter asked that question. 70 times 7. There's no limit. Men, listen, there is no limit to Jesus' love for you. It doesn't expire. You can't exhaust it. You can't use it up. His patience towards you is inexhaustible. Can we just stop and receive that for a minute? Like, that's the good news of the gospel. He has not lost his cool with you. He has not lost his patience with you. He's not changed his mind about you. And out of that, God's calling you to love her the same way. Not in proportion to how well she's doing on any given day. Love her the way Jesus loves you. There's a specific moment in the Gospels where there's always groups of like religious leaders. I think that's interesting. They're the ones who really hated Jesus who are trying to like trip him up and get him to say something that gives them some leverage against him. And there's one particular time where they're like, hey, I know, I'll stump him. Um, ask him what the most important law is. And so Jesus asked this question like, hey, Jesus, what's the most important law? And Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke all record an answer here. Mark, here's his record of that answer in Mark 12. 29 says that Jesus answered, well, here's the most important law, and then he quotes scripture. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's what your love towards God is supposed to be like. That's the most important law. It's interesting because Jesus didn't stop there. He wasn't asked to give a list, but he closely connects the second. He says this, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So these two can't be separated. So men, you're called to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and your strength. He's worthy of that love, and he's calling you to love him that way. It's how you love a good dad. Okay? And here's the thing. You can't say, I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all, every fiber of my being. But her? Nah. I'll wait till she gets better. Jesus is saying, you can't separate those things. If the first is true, it'll be visible in how you live out the second. And whenever, whenever the Bible says love your neighbor, that's like general. That's everybody, including your spouse. Men, love your wife the way Jesus loves you. We get to the why, just like we did with submission, because you're an image bearer. When the world looks at you, husbands, and is like, hey, I want to watch you love her what, what the world will see when you love your wife this way is an image of the way Jesus loves the church, the way the Father loves the Son, the way the Spirit loves the Father. Like you're, 
bearing the image, you're reflecting the image of God to the world. That's a high calling. Submission and loving sacrifice. Love is defined this way in 1 John 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's what love is supposed to look like. Jesus laid down his life for you. You lay down your life for your brothers. Verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's very practical and very simple, right? I love you, but if I see that you're in need, those words don't mean anything unless I'm willing to share what I have with you. What's interesting is what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about his own body. He says, love your wives as you love yourself, men. He says, nobody, right, treats their body poorly. If you get hungry, what do you do? You nourish, you eat. Like, such a simple example here. I mean, what do you mean by loving my own body? Paul's like, because you feed yourself. When you get hungry, you eat. When you're tired, you sleep. When you're thirsty, you drink. You go, oh, okay, yeah, I do. I do all those things. I do take care of my needs. Do that for her. Like, if you claim to love God, you claim to love her, love her the way you love yourself. Nourish her. Make sure she has what she needs. If you see her in need and you have what she needs and you don't give it to her because you're mad about the argument you had an hour ago, you don't actually love her. Submission and loving sacrifice. Both are difficult. Both are difficult. And they're, they're, they're commanded of us to do not in proportion to the lovability of our wife or the respectability of our husband, but to do them in proportion to what? Christ's submission to the church. I'm sorry, the church's submission to Christ and Christ's love for the church. They're both equally difficult. Both require letting go of an unhealthy ego and being willing to esteem another person. Both require having your identity secured and concreted in Christ, that that's not up for question. I can love you well, I can yield to you without being fearful that my identity is gonna somehow get changed. You're going to take advantage of me. I'm going to get caught off guard. No, I'm secure enough in who I am in Christ that I can yield to you, right, without feeling like in some way I'm, I'm going to get taken advantage of. Like, I know who I am in Christ. So I can submit to you. I can love you sacrificially because my identity is settled in Christ. And both require a certain level of faith that you would believe. Husbands, do you believe that God's actually restoring you to be a husband like Adam? Let's start there. Maybe you don't believe that. He is. If you're in Christ, 
that whatever Adam had before the fall, he's working that out in you. So you loving your wife is really a faith move. I believe God's doing this in me. I'm going to participate in that. So I'm going to strive to love my wife the way Adam loved Eve before the fall. The same thing is true for you, ladies, like especially if you've been wounded in this regard. It's a faith move. That if I yield to him, he won't take it and use it against me. If I yield myself to him, if I honor him out of this virtue of wanting to say, like, you matter, you matter to me and you matter in the universe, that you won't somehow use that against me. And it's a faith move to believe that God is restoring you, ladies, to what Eve had before the fall, to love Adam the way Eve loved Adam before sin entered the story. We'll land here, these last few verses. We pick it up in verse 34. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's a quote. Do you know what he's quoting? Genesis chapter that what Adam and Eve had before Genesis 3 that's what God's doing in you and then look at what he says this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church pay attention Paul is not giving out good marital advice and then all of a sudden he has an epiphany of some kind of an illustration that will help you understand how to be a good wife and husband. That's the way this passage gets read. It's all about marriage, and oh, by the way, if you need an example of what this is supposed to look like, um, just look at how the church submits to Christ. If you'll look at that, you'll see how to, you're supposed to do marriage. And oh, look at how Jesus loves the church, and you're going to see an example. It's actually the opposite of that. This mystery is profound. Which mystery? Marriage? Because, yeah, it's a little profound. I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the mystery of Jesus and the church. That that's the greater reality. Your marriage exists to be the illustration, to be the living metaphor, to be the reflection of this greater truth and reality. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, since we're on the subject, I've got some really good marital advice for you. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let his wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, once again, everything that you're called to do in marriage, we're all called to do for one another. You just have a specific calling. And when you engage in that calling, you live in that calling, you have a unique place among all of creation. You get to reflect something to creation in a very specific way. You get to show the world what it looks like to, out of virtue, yield yourself to another being, ascribing value and worth. The same way that the Father does that for the Son, and the Son, the Father, and the Spirit, the Son. Like you get to do that in a very specific way. Husbands, we're all called to love sacrificially. 
But whenever you engage in that in your marriage, you have a unique place in creation of reflecting something very specific about the love of Jesus. That when your children see you interacting with their mother, they're getting a living reflection of the gospel. So let's land here. Anytime we find ourselves living outside of God's good design, we are called to repentance. We're called to acknowledge it, give it a name, when necessary, seek forgiveness and move towards restoration. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to lay a couple things on the table for us. If you've been wounded, men or women, by anything that has happened to you as a result of the curse, you need more than just repentance. You need healing and restoration. Okay? So part of this might be you're going, oh, man, I've really been jacking this up. That may be true. And you may have disobeyed God's command and God's design in your marriage, and you need to be honest about that and give it a name. Repentance includes naming it, and it also includes grieving, expressing your sorrow, turning away from it. That's repentance. Healing and restoration is where we bring our brokenness and our vulnerability before God and say, God, will you meet me in this? I know you're calling me to be this kind of wife, but every time I take a step that way, I'm paralyzed by fear because of what he did or because of what they did. And so the other thing I want to lay on the table is an invitation into restoration and healing. And you may need both. You may need one or the other. Men, oftentimes when this gets addressed, you get hammered on pretty hard, even in the church. And it's only a call to repentance. And that may be what you need today. Maybe you were a jerk to your wife on the way here, and you need to ask for her forgiveness and repent of that. Yes, and maybe you also need to take a deeper look. Maybe you've also been wounded by men. Maybe you've been wounded by women. And so there is an invitation to repentance, but there is also an invitation to restoration and healing, to bring your brokenness before the Father. You say, this is, this is all I got. And anytime I look at it, it hurts, and I don't know what to do with this, and let God meet you in that. So as we get ready to respond, um, if you just want somebody to pray over you today, pray with you, or just listen while you pray, um, our prayer partners will be here. Um, we'll have pastors and elders available. We'll hang out in the commons area. We'll put on a lanyard so you kind of know who we are. If you're new here, just come grab us. Let us know. Let us know what's going on, how we can maybe encourage you or even give you some practical steps to move towards healing. Like, I would love to have that conversation with you today. So I'm going to stop. I'm just going to pray for us, and I'll invite our worship team out, and then uh, we'll respond. So, Father, thank you for this beautiful picture that you've painted in Ephesians 5. And God, we just confess how distorted marriage has become, not just in our culture, but even like in our own minds. If I, we just confess that not only have we seen horrific, corrupt examples of marriage, most of us have also participated in it. 
And so God, I'm just so thankful that when we stop and acknowledge and take inventory both on our sin and our suffering, that you, you invite us to bring that to you, that you're not embarrassed of us, that God, it's not disappointing to you when we bring that to you, that Father, it actually brings you joy when we bring you our mess. And so God, today I just know that in a room this big with as many people are here, Father, there's a lot of brokenness. Oh God, what a tragedy it would be for that to have been brought to our minds today and then walk out of here and do nothing with it. So Father, would you just provide your spirit now in us, your Holy Spirit, to stir us, to lead us, to compel us, to move us away from hiding and towards the glorious light of your presence. Oh, Father, we pray you would do this work in us today in Jesus' name.